Once again, we hear God's word from Leviticus chapter 16, verses 15 through 19. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. The New Testament lesson from which your sermon comes is found in Hebrews chapter 9, all verses. And you can find that on page 1005. Once again, we hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 9. This too is the word of God. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed till the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, 
so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is still alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The word of God so far, let us pray that God will bless the preaching of it. Heavenly Father, indeed, we pray that you would bless the preaching of this word. Lord, help us to listen to your word. Do not be distracted, but to listen and focus on it. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you would convict us of our sin the preaching of the law, and convict us of comfort and eternal life in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ and Friends, the scriptures are very practical. The author in Hebrews chapter 9 directs attention to the problem of a guilty conscience. And after all, how much more real, how much more practical can you get when you talk about the subject of guilt. You sin, therefore you naturally feel guilty. The question is, how do you rid yourself of guilt? And as you know, guilt can be one of the most terrible, horrible things to experience. It can be unrelenting. It keeps you up at night. Well, the author of Hebrews argues that when you sin, the only way To clear your conscience is to trust in the priestly work of Christ and not your own attempts to make amends. And that is simply the point of the sermon. When you sin, your first move is to try to rid yourself of guilt by making your own amends with God. That is just natural to being human. But the scriptures say, you cannot make amends for your sins, you must trust in the priestly work of Christ to clear your conscience. And after all, your guilt is gone objectively through Jesus Christ. And that's why we rejoice in the gospel. That your sins have been taken away. And the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. You're not guilty. 
Well, first then you'll see that the first covenant, by which we mean the Mosaic Covenant, left people with a guilty conscience. But second, the new covenant opens up the permanent vista of full forgiveness and a guiltless conscience. Now, in chapter 9, the author continues, as he had in chapter 8, to compare the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, with the new covenant. Now he will focus on a comparison of the two types of worship and the two types of places to worship in. So, the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle. He begins with the structure and the function of the earthly tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle, as you know, was given to Israel in the desert as a moving sanctuary in which priests would offer service to God on the behalf of people. People didn't serve God, not in the sense of honoring Him directly. Priests did this for the people. And they did this, these priests did this, in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle complex is made up of three parts. There's the uh, courtyard, and then the tabernacle proper has two parts. That is the holy place and the holy of holies. Now the courtyard was a closed area around the actual tabernacle. Everything inside the courtyard was considered holy. Everything outside the courtyard was considered profane or common. The actual tabernacle was composed of two parts. The holy place and the Holy of Holies. The holy place, called the first place by the author of Hebrews, had various furnishings for worship. The Levitical priests inhabited this area all the time, performing their ritual duties. The most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, or the second section, as the author puts it, contained only the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the author does mention that the golden altar of incense is in the Holy of Holies as well, and that's not true. This altar actually was in the holy place, but because it emitted incense that was so important to the sacrificial system, it is mentioned as being in the Holy of Holies. So he understood that it wasn't actually there, but he associates it so closely with the Holy of Holies, he mentions it being in the holy place, or Holy of Holies. But all this to say that the Holy of Holies is the most sacred part uh, this tabernacle complex. This is where God dwelt. The God who uh, cannot be contained in temples or tabernacles had chosen to come from heaven down to earth to exist among the people of God in the Holy of Holies. Now the structure of the tabernacle was directly related to its function. The Levitical priests served daily in the holy place, the first section. They performed such services as trimming the lamps of the lampstand and burning incense. This service was done as a part of the ordinary sacrificial system for the people. But only the Aaronic priest, the high priest, would enter the second section of the Holy of Holies once a year. He would enter bringing blood to apply to the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. This would atone for the unintentional sins of the people for the prior year. Now, by unintentional sins, he means all sin, so clearly displayed in our Old Testament reading in Leviticus chapter 16. All sins are atoned for. But the author is pointing out that not high-handed sins are atoned for. That is, sins for which there is no repentance. Where people don't care about their sin. And they don't care about the sacrificial system. And these people are eventually, of course, excommunicated. 
The tabernacle, therefore, was very important to the religious life of Israel. It involved a system in which and for which sins were atoned. But this was very limited. It only took care of sins temporarily, not eternally. Now in verses 9 through 10, the author states that the tabernacle and its sacrificial system could only deal with food and drink, various washings and regulations. That is, the system made amends for sin only temporarily, not eternally. That's why the author says in verse 9 that gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, the sacrificial system cannot take away the guilty conscience. It's sort of like putting a band-aid on a deep puncture wound in your arm. If you do such, you cover the wound, but you really do very little to actually heal the wound. The conscience, by which he means the reality of a person standing before a holy God, was still guilty under the sacrificial system. And a guilty conscience prohibits one from approaching God and serving Him exactly because of guilt. A sinner in the state is reluctant to come to God. I mean, how do you feel when you just offend another person? When you know you've done something wrong against him or her, you don't want to be around them. You avoid them. It's the same thing in this system. And this is further illustrated under the Mosaic Covenant by the fact that only priests served on behalf of the people. The people did not go even into the holy place. Their ordinary life was relegated to outside the courtyard, in the profane areas, the common areas. They can never go into the tabernacle itself. No priests had to perform uh, service for them. And so the problem of the guilty conscience is also illustrated by the actual presence of the tabernacle. In verses 8 and 9, the author states that the Holy Spirit has given insight into the significance of the tabernacle. That's what he means here when he mentions the Holy Spirit. The way into the holy places, the Holy of Holies, is not yet opened as long as the first section, that is, the holy place, is still standing. That is, there is not full access to God that allows the easing of a guilty conscience while there is still a tabernacle. No, the tabernacle is symbolic for the present age. That means the tabernacle and the significance is now fulfilled in Christ. It was something entirely different, aside from Christ, when it was still standing. The tabernacle didn't perfect the conscience. The conscience was still guilty when the tabernacle is standing, when it's functioning. The tabernacle and its sacrificial system could only point to Jesus Christ and its perfect, once-for-all, sacrifice. The limitations of the Mosaic Covenant and sacrifices highlight the need for Jesus' human sacrifice for sin. This need can be seen in two respects. First, the sacrifices took care of sin only externally. That's why the author says the conscience was not perfected. Therefore, the system was only temporary until Christ the final sacrifice came. Second, the sacrificial system argues the need for the work of of sacrifice. That is, someone has to do something. A priest had to perform the work of sacrificing animals and he had to do this constantly. 
And the second point relates directly to the way in which you may react to your own sin. As sinners, you don't naturally understand or accept the gospel. That's why we say the righteousness of Christ is alien to you. You don't understand it. It's not natural to you. But you do naturally understand and accept the idea that you must do something to ease the guilt of your sin. To ease your guilty conscience. It's just natural to your humanity to want to make amends for your sin. And some of you can remember when you first stole something from the store when you were a kid. You were mortified when your mom or dad took you to the store to make amends with the store manager. But there's something that felt right about doing that. You really did want to take the toy back or whatever it was and make amends. And even as adults, there's something that drives you to want to make things right when you've sinned against God. And some of this, of course, is a law written on your hearts which leads to your having a conscience. But some of this, brothers and sisters, listen carefully, some of this is an implicit denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You really think that forgiveness can come only when you can prove that you deserve it. You can believe you can earn His favor and that is how you have a clear conscience about what you've done. So what do you do? What is just common in Christianity today when you've sinned against God? You read your Bible more. You pray more. And you say, Lord, now I'm going to be good. I promise that now I'm not going to sin anymore like that and I'm going to be a good boy or girl. You're right that something has to be done when you sin. Work must be done, and that's precisely what the sacrificial system proves. Animals had to die, and their blood had to be poured out and applied to the mercy seat. This is part and parcel of the priest's work. But as the author goes on to say, the earthly priest's work symbolized that Christ had to work. Christ had to work, not you. Christ's work is the only way you can have a clear conscience. To, to attempt to make amends by praying, by reading your Bible, and doing good things, is really to deny what Christ has already done. Praying, reading your Bible, serving others is good. But not by themselves or to the exclusion of resting in Christ's finished merits. Do you see the difference? Your first move is to make these amends, which is to say, God, I know, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and they're atoned for, but I really need to still do something. Don't do that. Your guilt has been taken away. And the problem with your own attempts at making amends with God, and the problem with a guilty conscience with which all people struggle, is why the gospel is so amazing and so precious as the author lays it out here in verses 11 and following. Here he speaks of several aspects of the second covenant, the new covenant, that is, and a clear conscience. So verses 15 and following, the author states that Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant in contrast to Moses, who is a mediator of the old covenant, by which he means the Mosaic covenant. 
But in addition, the author states that the new covenant is a continuation of the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 15, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was a covenant based on the promises of God to bless his people with salvation unconditionally. Unconditionally means that God would ensure that the laws of the covenant would be fulfilled by himself and that he would take on the punishments for his people breaking the law. So the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace. God and his work is a power, not the people. The new covenant is the same, it's only clear. God and Christ would fulfill the law and take punishments upon himself. Abrahamic covenant is continued with the new covenant. So in verse 15, the death that has occurred is Jesus' death. He's not talking about animal sacrifices. Now he's talking about Jesus' sacrifice. His work and death fulfills the conditions of the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. Therefore, those who dealt with a guilty conscience under the Mosaic covenant and have true faith are redeemed from their sins and have a clear conscience because Christ died. As the author goes on to say in verses 16 and following, the Mosaic law was established or sealed with blood just as the new covenant is sealed with blood. But also the shedding of animal blood symbolized the need for the perfect shedding of the, uh, blood for the forgiveness of sins. There's no other way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. When Jesus died and shed his blood, not an animal... He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, he ended the Mosaic covenant, and secured the heavenly holy of holies for his people. So the author is saying the tabernacle is no longer standing, functioning, nor it shouldn't, because Jesus has opened up the true holy of holies in heaven. So this is very important to understand and puts this long chapter into focus. Jesus died to fulfill the unconditional promises of the Abrahamic covenant which means he established the new covenant as a continuation of the Abrahamic covenant with his promises of eternal salvation. And at the same time, the Mosaic covenant with its burden of a guilty conscience has been ended. So think of it as a series of lines. You have the Abrahamic covenant starting in Genesis chapter 12, formalized in 15. It runs all the way through the Old Testament. The Mosaic Covenant starts later with Moses. It starts here and it ends with the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's the Mosaic Covenant. It has a definite beginning, a definite end. And it ends because Jesus was crucified. He died and fulfilled that whole system. The Abrahamic Covenant, the whole time is going on. It's this line. But then the New Covenant takes it over. See, the Abrahamic Covenant going along, the New Covenant taking it over because it's one covenant of grace. Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of works. And it was established by God to make sin really sinful, as Paul says in Galatians. To drive you to Jesus Christ. It was a custodian. It was to help people understand that they needed to believe in the promises made to Abraham. That is where eternal salvation lay, because there were promises about Jesus Christ. Therefore, through his death, 
Christ opened the heavenly tabernacle through self-sacrifice and He has purified your conscience. Under the old sacrificial system, sacrifices were offered all the time. The constant sacrifices were reminders that the people were still guilty. This signifies that before faith in Christ, you were guilty. You had a guilty conscience. But Christ became priest and sacrifice. He wasn't just a priest. He wasn't just a sacrifice. He was priest and sacrifice. According to verses 11, 12, and verses 25 and following, he entered the heavenly tabernacle going right into the true Holy of Holies by the virtue of his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. Because he was perfectly obedient to the law and his sacrifice on the cross was done once, he is now in the permanent Holy of Holies forever, the heavenly tabernacle. This means through faith that you are saved from the anger of God forever, eternally. God will never be angry with you. Do you understand that, children? God will never be angry with you. Your parents get angry with you sometimes, and rightly so. God will never be angry with you. Or you parents, because of Jesus Christ. In other words, you have a clear conscience. After all, as the author continues in verses 13 and following, if the old system purified temporarily and held off the anger of God, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is, offered Himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Not a pure goat or bull or lamb, but the pure Son of God. Now note, Someone who does not know Christ naturally wishes to offer God his or her dead works. That is, there is this impulse to make amends with God according to one's own ideas of what would please God. And of course, Christians can fall into this too. But hearing and believing the gospel is to believe that your sins are forgiven eternally and your conscience is clear. No more guilt. And this leads, of course, to gratitude in serving God not attempts to please God by our own amends. In conclusion, you sin. You blow it. Breaking God's law in some way, fully knowing that what you've done is sinful. How do you typically feel after you sin? When you sin against God, how do you feel? You feel badly. You feel guilty. Now, the question is, do you feel like serving God at this point? No. You wish to avoid God because of your feelings of guilt. Then, ordinarily, in an attempt to alleviate your guilt, you pray earnestly, you ask for forgiveness, you promise to be good, you make pledges to God, and you say, God, I'm really, really going to try hard now not to sin that way ever again. And you get your accountability partners and you talk to others and you say, please pray for me. And you go on and on and on about how good you're going to be now. And what you're doing is trying to make amends with God. And really, if you could, when you're feeling guilty, wouldn't you love to be able to offer incense to God or even participate in the old sacrificial system in some way? Now you know precisely the situation the author of Hebrews is dealing with when he wrote to this church. That's how they felt. They felt like you feel when you blow it. 
When you sin against God, you want to do something tangible. Is there something I can do, God, to prove to you that I'm really sorry about my sin? I'm really, 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 really sorry. And I really, really, really mean I'm going to be good now. And in the Hebraic context, that's what people are doing. They're saying, I can go back to the old system. I can do something tangible. Show God I'm really serious. But in our own modern times, these thoughts and impulses are moved back to a system that has no merit. Christ's death has ended the Mosaic Covenant with His sacrifices and has secured the New Covenant, which again is a continuation of the Abrahamic Covenant of Grace. To try to make amends on your own is to deny the fact that Christ has already entered the heavenly Holy of Holies by His own precious blood. It is to forget that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant that cannot be broken. It is to thumb your nose at the reality that Jesus' self-sacrifice was a once-for-all sacrifice that eliminated your guilt forever. So brothers and sisters, stop feeling guilty. Start confessing your sin for which Christ was slain on the altar of the world and clear your conscience. Satan directs behavior that says, you better do something to make things right with God, get to work. That is satanic. The gospel says, you are already right with God because of Christ. You can't get any more right with God than you are right now through faith in Christ. Yes, feel sorry for your sin. Yes, confess your sin. Yes, repent of your sin, but don't try to make amends for your sin. Christ has already made amends for your sin. That means that you sins that you will commit in the future. Those are covered too. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear it again. Your sins are forgiven. They have been cleansed. They've been cast away as far as east is to west. And you are covered right now that is declared to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. That is a biblical gospel fact. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.